0: Hey, good morning. My name is Jim, one of the pastors here. We've actually been in this message series, especially in the season of Advent. Now, Advent is this word that comes from a root word in Latin that means arrival or coming. And here's the idea. The principle is that the God who created the universe and everything in it is a God who's actually taken on flesh and, and walked amongst us. Now, I, I realize that in today's world, all across the world, people celebrate this, this, uh, this celebration of Christmas, and yet um, what's so different from a Christian perspective is more than being about Christmas trees and gifts and and the pageantry, and the lights, and the nutcracker, and all that sort of thing, um, is actually the story of a God who has taken on flesh, and walked amongst us, and wants to actually meet us in a very tangible way. Like, that is a miracle. And it's this idea that God is not only just accessible to the rich, and the famous, and those who have the resources somehow to say that they are approved before God, but instead, the wonder of Christmas is that God, again, the maker of the universe, is actually accessible to each one of us. Now, this is the miracle of Christmas. Now, we've been looking at this historical account in the Gospel of Luke, which is, uh, again, written by a historian named Luke, and it's written about Jesus. And, um, and we've been looking at the melodies of Christmas, or the melodies, these songs that are sung um, in reference to Jesus who has come into the world in this very indiscriminate way that's so hard to distinguish, like, what's so special about it? And yet, we see these songs that point to the reality of of God who has come to us, and, and we come to this song that was read just earlier today of a person named Zechariah. Now Zechariah is married to Elizabeth, as you will see. And let's look at the context as as to where this song comes from. Look at what it says. Um, Here it says, it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now again, Christianity is not just some myth that's made up or conjured up. It's actually rooted in history. And so if you're wondering, like, "Do can I really believe this? Well, look up Herod in Judea and notice that he was a real king who lived. And there was a priest named Zechariah. Um, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is actually the aunt of the Virgin Mary, who we talked about last week. So Elizabeth, um, they both are giving birth around the same time, but it's in this very unique kind of manner that their lives are intertwined. Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them, this is Elizabeth and Zechariah, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blame. In other words, these were upright people. It's not like these are rebellious people who are not following God, you know. Um, And and this clue is given about them. And uh, see how important that is. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now that clue is given about something then that they've been longing for and praying after. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, could you imagine? He's older in age. He's probably been praying this, that God would bless them with a child for a long time. Uh, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In other words, this word is given about this child John and what John will do. Now notice what it says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? because i'm old. I mean that's essentially what he's saying, right? He says, "I am an old man and my wife she's old too." Like, do you see it's it's just a natural question? Like, listen, we've been praying for this. We've gotten our hopes up and down at different moments, and i just wanted to know like how in the world can we trust that this is really going to happen? Uh, The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, look at what Gabriel says, you will be silent. Why? And not able to speak until the day that it happens. Why? Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And so they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them. He's gesturing wildly, right? But remained unable to speak. Poor Zechariah. What's going on? When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Now, here's what's stunning about this. Here Zachariah is, he's been praying earnestly. And the text already tells us, like he's someone who's been walking righteously. He's been a stand-up person. So of all of the people to have prayed, like this is one of the good guys. His prayer has been answered now, in one of the stunning revelations of this moment, though, this, this angel comes to Zechariah and is basically like, we've heard your prayers. Your prayer has been answered. You're going to give birth to a son. I mean, could you imagine for Zechariah? It's like, this is amazing. Now, here he is as someone who's walked uprightly, and all of a sudden, he's basically like, he's like, um, but just a quick question. Are we old? How in the world is this going to happen? Now, could you imagine for Zechariah, he's prayed earnestly. His hopes have gotten up many different times, and then they've been dashed, perhaps, at different moments. But finally, he comes to this moment where he he basically is asking this question, how in the world is this going to happen? And in in so doing, he's a righteous man. He's blameless. And still, Gabriel's like cold-blooded, cold-blooded angel right here. Gabriel basically says, you know what? Because you doubted me, you're going to be silent. Could you imagine for Zechariah? I, if I were Zechariah in that moment, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I just all I, ha, I was just asking a question. I thought there were no stupid questions. Like, please, like, what, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden, he can't speak anymore. Now, again, it's not like Zechariah is some wayward, rebellious person. This is like an upright, godly. Uh, his, his reputation in the community is sterling. And even for someone like Zechariah, God causes him to be silent in waiting. That is cold-blooded. I mean, of all the people, it's like, God, can you do this to someone else? Can you smite someone else with silence? But of all the people, you do this to poor Zechariah. All he's doing is longing to see the fulfillment of his prayers. Now, look at what happens. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Could you imagine? People are like rejoicing because they know that Elizabeth and Zachariah have been old, but somehow... God has heard their prayer, and and they know that something weird is happening with Zechariah. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, which is customary in those times. In the ancient world, people would name their children part of the lineage of these common names. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. (laughs) They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father because they realized that, again, he can't speak at all. And look at what happens. To find out what he would like to name the child, he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. I mean, could you imagine? Everyone's like, oh, my goodness. Something extraordinary has happened. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And this is the context where Zechariah begins his song. I mean, this is crazy, right? Because Zechariah's a righteous person. And yet, somehow, because Zechariah has shown a little bit of this, like, God, I don't know, how in the world are you gonna do this? He's given silence and waiting as a means to somehow do something in his life until the birth of John. Now, again, a part of me is kind of like, yo, Zachariah is a righteous person. Of all the people you should um, give silence to, you should give silence to all those other people that talk all the time. But for this person, he's a righteous person. And yet, here's the revelation because here's what's so crazy about the gift of silence and waiting is that what you see throughout the scriptures is that God often uses silence. And waiting to form us, transform us, and make us into who God wants us to be. Even though Zachariah is a righteous person, there's a way in which God is going to use this period of waiting and silence to change Zachariah, to de-center Zachariah. All these questions of control and whatever else, God wants to use silence to reveal himself to Zechariah in ways that only silence and waiting can. This is why even in the life of Jesus, you see Jesus with all of his ministry, and when crowds are surrounding around Jesus, oftentimes it'll say that Jesus will will steal away from the crowd just for some silence in uh, the mountainside to pray, to be still. Jesus himself models this rhythm of going, of retreating, of going away to be silent to somehow hear from God. In many ways, kind of the invitation of the spiritual journey is that we become a people who are used to retreating away from all the noise and all the proclivities to speak and talk and control and and direct our own lives. And somehow what we need to be given is this gift of silence and waiting. Uh, Check out what it says in Psalm chapter 62, verse five. Look at what it says. It says, my soul, wait in silence for God alone, for my hope is from him. Throughout the Psalms, it talks about waiting on God and in silence. Now, here's the thing. I realize in New York City, this is one of the hardest messages to receive. (laughs) This idea of waiting in silence. I like not waiting. I like having things immediate. Um, Do you remember those times when before the subways actually started posting how many minutes before the train would come? Do you remember those days, anyone? Or do you remember before there were apps um, where it could tell us when the train was coming? But you know what? Even with all those things, I mean, isn't it true? Like you see, it's got like, it's five minutes away. But uh, have you ever done this before, right? It's like five minutes away, you see it on the thing, but you're just kind of like, You just look down. You know what I'm talking about, right? You're looking down, and you're just peering just for those two lights to appear. And and somehow there's almost this belief that the the sterner and harder you look, that somehow those lights are going to miraculously appear. Because that's the kind of power we have as New Yorkers. And then when it's still not coming, you just, you kind of walk a little bit closer as if, as if there's more control there, you know, and then you get on your knees and then you're just kind of like looking. Uh, I mean, isn't this true? Like the, the impatience of a New Yorker, the, the, like, gosh, it's so difficult to wait. And yet waiting is, is part of what God uses to form us. Can you imagine for Zachariah? He's been waiting so long. He's an old man. He's been praying for this. All he had was a question. And yet God's like, you know what? I, I still want to form something in you. That somehow I need to, to show you through waiting in silence that you are not the center. You are not in control. And, and somehow, could you imagine, like, he first he's silent then he's, got to, he's waited his entire life for Elizabeth to, ke- to have a healthy pregnancy. Then he's now got to wait nine months. It's not even like a day or 30 minutes or Amazon, you know, like two to three day delivery, which is like way too long for any of us. It, it's, he's got to wait nine months now. And then even after the nine months, he gives birth and still now there's a circumcision. He's still waiting, just waiting to say something. And yet here's what the scriptures show us is that throughout the scripture, silence and waiting are often used to form us. And God often meets us in that silence and waiting. Now our tradition, our evangelical Protestant tradition as Christians, when I went to seminary school, which is like graduate school where I learned theology, scripture, um, church history, things like that, um, I took two full semesters on preaching. Some of you are like, you probably needed another year or two, Drew. But listen, that's okay. But, I mean, here's the idea, though. I took two semesters on preaching, a full year of learning just how to, da la, 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 how to talk. You know what's stunning is, I, I didn't take any classes on how to be silent, on how to wait, on how to let God form me By just waiting in prayer. And even for a righteous person like Zechariah, God wants to form something through silence and waiting. Some of us are in this in-between season where maybe when it comes to your job situation, you're just in the season of waiting whether you're in a season of unemployment or you've been waiting for that raise or you've been waiting for just some sort of thing to break for you. Or maybe when it comes to your relationships you've just been waiting, it feels like, oh, my goodness, God, where are you? And what if God wasn't coming to you, not necessarily at the end of that, but what if God is coming to you in the waiting and in the silence? What if God's invitation for you is to learn what it means to not be in control, to recognize that God is God and that God is working? Now, I love this quote from the Austrian poet Rilke. Here's what he writes. He writes, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, Live along some distant day into the answer. Some of us are impatients, our New Yorker tendencies, want everything to be fixed. We want to be in control. We want the app that's going to solve everything. And you're wondering why I'm gesturing so wildly right now to channel my own inner New York impatient. I need to make this thing happen. But what if God meets us in the waiting and in the silence? I can imagine Zechariah wanting to say anything and everything. And God's like, no, 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 no. Can't say anything right now. Zechariah wants to tell people what he thinks that should happen. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to silence you. Because there's a way that I'm going to form you. God often meets us in silence and in waiting. Now, this is what is so stunning, is the revelation of, look at Zechariah's song now. Look at what he sings. After his mouth is opened, his father, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. He, 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 he started to sing, God, thank you for opening up my mouth. I knew that it was you. No, this is not what he says. Look at what he says. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Zacharias, he's not singing about like, God, thank you for opening up my mouth and that you gave me this cute little baby. He's like speaking in these grandiose terms of the God who has been faithful for generations. Salvation from our enemies. Uh, And from the hands of all who hate us, show mercy to our ancestors. Remember his holy covenant, uh, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, this is John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now he starts singing about this baby, and he's like, this baby, uh, it's amazing. This baby will prepare the way for this other baby, for Jesus, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, this is crazy. Zachariah, you would think that finally his lips are loose and he would sing. He'd be like, God, I thank you that I could trust you more than these other people, that you were gonna bless my family. You were the one that was gonna come through for me, through my family lineage. And yet somehow, Zechariah, through this journey, he somehow, through the silence and the waiting, uncouples His own personal will, control, ability to see his own kind of life. And now he's able to give this song about almost like this cosmic understanding of how the God of the universe is working in the midst of his life. And he's just humbled to be part of it. (laughs) This is crazy. Zachariah here is singing this song with withfalutin praise to the God of heaven and earth. And here's basically what Zachariah is able to do. When Zachariah is singing this song, he's not even singing the song about, like, thank you, God, that you've given me this wonderful child that will be a blessing to my legacy and to my family. He's like, thank you for giving me a child whose life will always be about giving glory and pointing the way to you, to Jesus. His whole song is a song that distances his own life from the greatness of who God is. In other words, the song of Zechariah shows us that life is not about you. And life is not about your life and your job and your career and your relationships, and your child. In fact, high-five your neighbor and say, life is not about you. (laughs) High-five your other neighbor and say, life is not about you either. (laughs) Now tell your spouse, you bet, no, I'm just kidding. Don't, 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 I mean, I realize this is somewhat of a stunning kind of word to give to New Yorkers because, I mean, let's be honest, so much of us have been told throughout our lives that life is about you. Life is about what school you go to. Life is about how if you work hard, you can help our family have generational wealth for future generations. Life is about you. Life is about how wonderful you are in your relationships. Life is about what you can portray on these different social media platforms. But here's what the song of Zechariah tells us, and here's what Christmas is really all about, is that actually, yeah, life is not about you and your family and your hopes and wishes. Now, again, I recognize that some of us are like, I can't believe you're speaking to me this way, Drew. But don't you see, for Zechariah, somehow after these months of silence and waiting, he's able to have eyes that are able to see like, wait a minute, something bigger is going on in the universe. And and the bigger thing is always about God and God's story. And the more I begin to start seeing things through my own lens, I miss out on the fact that Jesus is what life has always been about. If you think about all the anxieties that flood our mind today and our hearts Again, as New Yorkers, I think I tend to focus so much on how important, self-important I am. I mean, I often tell people whenever whenever I go to Bryant Park, there's always this moment of like, man, I am standing in Bryant Park, like the middle of New York City. And then I start to think, you know what? New York City, it's really the most influential city in the world. And so there I will be, and I'll be standing in the middle of, of Bryant Park, and I'll be like, I am standing in the middle of the world. And then I'll start thinking, you know what? I don't know if life outside of earth has not been discovered yet, really. And then I'll start thinking, you know what? New York City is a center of where kind of life is found in teeming in the universe. Like, I am standing in the middle of the universe. (laughs) Like, there's just this grandiosity to like, oh my goodness, that's right. Like, that's that's how important I am and where I'm standing. Sounds like none of you have ever had that thought. <laughs> yeah, it's just me. But I mean, that that goes to the grandiosity that I often feel about myself and my own story. But I mean, can you imagine though? Like, the, through this silence and waiting, Zachariah is able to like to lose to lose his grandiosity about himself. To decenter himself and begin to center Jesus. And to realize, as much as I want life to be about me and my wishes, hopes, and dreams, and what's gonna happen with my final exams, and what's gonna happen with the job that I get. Now, it's not that these things are unimportant, it's just that in the grand scheme of things, life is about Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus. It's about the creator of the universe has come into the world to meet us. To show us that God has come. That we can come and adore him. And we can have a relationship with this God. Last week I used uh, this quote from Richard Rohr. He says, some people see things as they are. Through my own kind of wishes, hopes, and dreams, and longings, and hopes. Through my own kind of myopic vision for what I want with my life, and my goals, and my ambitions. Now, those are all wonderful things, and I'm not saying to somehow lose those things. But what would it look like to gain a perspective? Not, Not to see things as you and I are, but to see things as they truly are. That the reality is, each one of us, we will die one day the city moves on. But you know what? God is over all and in all and has created everything. And this God, who's worthy of all highest praise and glory, is the God who wants to meet you and me. The God who wants to show us that Jesus is the center of the universe and Jesus has come into the world. Now, here's the stunning kind of news about this Jesus. The more we start to center on Jesus, the more you study who Jesus is, you find that Jesus is God in the flesh who has come to us to give his life for us, for you and for me. So the more we begin to say, Jesus, it's all about you, the more we realize that God has always been a God who has been for you and me. And it's only when we're able to surrender to this kind of love To a God like that, to a God of infinite love, of infinite grace, a God who has everything under control, including your future, including your future spouse, or your future family, or if you're single, whatever it might be, God has your future. And this God is a God who loves you, who has always been for you. And the, the revelation for Zachariah's song is to start saying, you know what, God, it's not about me. Life is not about me. Life is about Jesus. And it's time for me to start seeing things through my own kind of lens, but to now begin to see things through the eyes of a God who somehow, even in the midst of waiting and silence, God is doing something.